If you have been looking for a quick overview of every single sustained damage build that I have ever made to date to help you decide which video to watch next or which build to try out for yourself, or if you're just interested in taking a stroll down memory lane with me, then this is the video for you. Welcome to D4. Hey everybody. So here at D4, each week, usually, I take deep dives into character builds for my favorite role-playing games. I like to crunch numbers about them, theorycraft about them, not so that I can tell you the right way or the best way to play a character, but to explore one potential way to build something in the hopes of creating a character that's both powerful but also really fun to play. So if you enjoy creating characters for your favorite role-playing games almost as much as you enjoy playing the actual game itself, or if you are just looking for tips or ideas on how to build something that you're thinking about playing, then welcome home. This is where you belong, and I am so glad you're here. So thanks for watching. My name's Colby, and if you like what we do here, I hope that you will consider joining the channel as a member. It can get you access to the step-by-step -step guides that I build for every single one of the characters that I'm gonna talk about today, so that you can recreate the character yourself in-game if you want to, without having to go back and rewatch the video, right? But as of recently, it can also get you access to our new D4 Discord server, and even additional content like our members-only monthly Q&A hangout session, that uh, the first one of which we just did last week. So yeah, if you're interested, just click the little button down below that says join to learn all about it, and a huge thank you and shout out to my channel members. I could not do this without you guys. And for everybody else, thanks to you too. I appreciate you just being here and watching and liking and subscribing, so thanks. Okay, yes, for those who don't know, most of the characters that I build on this channel are made to excel at one of two things. Sustainable damage that a character could conceivably do nearly every single round for at least one combat encounter per day, usually more, and burst, or nova damage, where the character is meant to just blow a ton of resources in one glorious round of combat for massive upfront burst in the hopes of taking out a target or two or five, ideally early in the combat encounter. I do tank builds as well that are meant to kind of protect their allies, right? And even support characters. But yeah, most of the characters are built for damage. Don't get all uppity on me. You enjoy a bit of murder hoboing yourself from time to time. Admit it. <laughs> Anyways, I put all of these builds in a spreadsheet, right, to compare them to one another, and about once a year, the spreadsheets start to get a little too crowded, and I have to create another tier so that the graphs have a little breathing room. When this happens, I like to make a little ranking my builds video to put every build in its place and to give a quick little synopsis of each of them to help you guys know what you might have missed or forgotten about if you wanted to go back and check out an old build. It's the closest thing I've got to an index or a table of contents at the moment. Today, we're going to do the sustained damage or DPR damage per round builds. These are by far the most common builds that I make on this channel. To date, I've done 62 of them, almost half of all the builds, right? So today we're going to take them from five tiers expanded into six. Well, more accurately, there are five tiers for characters focused on single target damage and then a separate grouping for AOE, area of effect, multi-target builds, right? Characters meant to do sustained damage to multiple enemies every single round. I do have quite a lot of burst damage builds as well, and I will be doing a ranking video for them sometime before the end of the year, hopefully. That said, I haven't added too many tank builds this year, but you can see an overview of most of them here. Before we get started, just a quick explanation of how I rank these builds. It's an overly simplified equation. For every build, I calculate how much damage a character could potentially do every round in a best case scenario situation against an enemy armor class from 10 to 25. Sometimes I will throw in saving throws to that calculation as well if called for, and I do this four times for each build, right? The damage reports at levels 6, 9, 13, and 17. I then just take all of those calculations and average them into just one big number. It's imperfect. It probably gives too much weight to like very low and very high enemy armor classes, and it doesn't give like a true ranking of how like good or powerful the character is. But it's simple, 
it's easy, and it gives a decent snapshot or overview of the kind of damage a character is potentially capable of. And I mean, besides, giving an objective or even subjective tier grade for all of these builds feels pretty impossible without the ability to actually play each of them in-game at every level, right? So. We keep it simple, and I'm okay with that. Also, in case you didn't know, in the video description of each video, I post a link to the spreadsheet comparing all of my, in this case, sustained damage builds to one another, and each of those builds is hyperlinked in those spreadsheets. So just click on the title of the build at the very top to get to the appropriate video. Finally, I'm recording this the week of Thanksgiving here in the US, so in order to make sure that I get the video out in a timely fashion but avoid working over the Thanksgiving holiday, the editing today is going to be a lot lighter than it usually is. Hopefully you'll forgive me for that. All right, let's dive into ranking my DPR builds for 2023. First up, we have the AoE tier. And one note about this tier, the number that I give is based on average damage done per enemy. Though on some of them, I'm assuming we're hitting two enemies per round, some three, depending on the area of effect of the thing that they're doing damage with, right? A 15 foot cone isn't going to hit as many enemies reliably as say a 20 foot radius sphere or whatever. So just keep that in mind. And you can see if I'm saying it's two or three enemies in the graph in the spreadsheet. So first up, we have build number 70, the Artillerist. Their tier score was a 61. This was an Artillerist Artificer mixed with a little evocation wizard who was doing damage with their Eldritch Cannon, an area of effect cantrip, usually Acid Splash, and then actually using their Familiar to cast Dragon's Breath every round to hit multiple enemies with multiple sources of damage every single turn. Pretty fun, pretty unique. Next up, the Wildfire Druid Cleaver, build number 115. This had a tier score of 69. Nice. Uh, this was a fun one. A wildfire druid mixed with a little hunter ranger who would shillelagh their staff and then damage a couple of enemies with a green flame blade, get some additional damage from a summoned fae spirit, and then have our wildfire spirit teleport us all away every round, doing more damage to the enemies when doing so, right? Really versatile and mobile, uh, an awesome druid gish. Next up, Build number 11, the Death Cleric. This had a tier score of 70 and was my very first multi-target build. It was just a straight cleric, no multi-classing, which many of you know is pretty rare on this channel. They would do uh, Toll the Dead and Spirit Guardians damage to multiple enemies and throw in some spiritual weapon damage to the meanest one to boot with their bonus action. Super effective at both damage and support, actually, because full cleric. I played this one in a campaign, actually, and it totally wrecked. Next up, the Nature Cleric, number 82. This had a tier score of 79. This is my only other straight cleric build to date, I think. And they were similarly relying on Spirit Guardians for big damage, but also having a lot of fun pulling multiple enemies into the area of effect via Thorn Whip and Telekinesis to double up on that really potent Spirit Guardian's damage every single turn. Next up, build number 76, the Ashardalon's Strider. It had a tier score of 84, uh, AKA Greased Lightning. This was one of my weirder builds for sure, but it was so much fun. Trying to weaponize move speed, basically. It was a Scout Rogue Scribes Wizard Tempest Cleric. You'd basically put a Shardalon Stride on yourself, Booming Blade a single enemy, and then run around the battlefield hitting as many enemies as you could with that spell, and even doing that again with your reaction later, and even eventually throwing enemies around the battlefield as you ran past them thanks to Tempest Cleric's forced movement, right? I really want to try playing this character, maybe just in a one-shot sometime. It could be hilarious and amazing. Next up, the Bardic Brawler, build number 116. Their tier score here was a 117, and I'm gonna say it again, people, this is my most underrated build that I've done to date. It had fewer views in a year than most of my videos get in the first, like, two weeks. It's so dang good. You're basically grappling as many enemies as you can, and then doing damage to them via Cloud of Daggers three times per round. Yeah, three. And you're a freaking Valor Bard with a little Rune Knight fighter for grappling. It's ridiculous and amazing, and is the best bard ever. And that's the end of the AoE tier. Uh, not as many area of effect multi-target builds that I've done to date. I Kind of makes me want to do more. But anyway, moving on to tier number five. 
Bringing up the rear here is uh, build number 91, the Shieldmaster. They had a tier score of 30. This build was trying to answer the question, how effective could we be in combat if we only used a shield? No other weapons. Uh, maybe our fists or claws. So it was kind of trying to be like Captain America, right? And honestly, even though they are bringing up the rear here damage-wise, they were as much of a grappler and like a tank as anything. So I still think they'd be a pretty effective party member. They were a beast barbarian mixed with a rune knight fighter who would grapple, shove, claw, and shield bash their enemies into oblivion. Next up, the Battlesmith Controller. This was build number 85. Their tier score was 33, and similar to the Shieldmaster, though the damage these guys were putting out wasn't great, they were really built more for control than they were for damage. It was a battlesmith with a little bit of fighter who would web and then throw light hammers at their enemies to hit them and knock them back into the web spell. Just like circling around their own web on our turn, knocking enemies back in if they managed to escape. Super weird, but pretty fun and pretty effective both for decent control and decent damage. Man, these lower tier builds were just the best, right? So weird. Anyway, up next we have number 25, the Mounted Battlesmith. This had a tier score of 36, and it was my first ever mounted build. It tried to answer the question, would a character be effective if they could ride their pet into battle dual-wielding lances? I know, weird. And actually not quite as potent as a lot of people online were claiming at the time, once you crunch the numbers. It's still not terrible, and filled with a lot of fun, artificer, tinkeriness, and shenanigans. Next up, we have build number 140, pretty recent, a Song of Ice and Artificer. This had a tier score of 37, and similar to others down at the bottom here, this build was as much about control as anything, and I think they pulled off their role really effectively. They were a bladesinger mixed with yet another battlesmith who would use a whip, ray of frost, and spirit shroud to slow their enemies so much that the enemies couldn't move, while our character was making all of their attacks from reach or from range, keeping us safe from said enemy while they just rooted them in place and whittled them down. Another one of those that could be super fun and really unique to play in-game while still giving you all the juicy goodness of being mostly a full wizard with the versatility and power that comes with that, right? Next up, number 75, uh, the Street Fighter. This had a tier score of 38, and it was like my attempt to build a pugilist, a bruiser, a bare-knuckle boxer with no monk levels. Okay, fine, with just one teeny little monk level. <laughs> These guys were mostly a rune knight, again, for grappling with a little zealot barbarian thrown in, and yes, primarily grappling, getting their enemy down on the ground and just like rubbing their face in the gravel while they pummeled their foe ad nauseum. So yes, sticking with the theme here, bringing some nice control to the battlefield along with their decent, if not amazing, damage. I would tell you more, but the first rule of Fight Club prohibits me from doing so. Next up, we have build number four. Woo, going way back for this one. Uh, the Munger. <laughs> Tier score of 39. I was so bright-eyed and filled with naivete. I thought I could make a monk that could compete damage-wise with heavy hitters. It turns out you kinda can, but not really by just going Kensei monk with a little hunter ranger thrown in like I did for this build. We were just like using Hunter's Mark and punching stuff as much as possible. Admittedly, this build would be a little stronger today with the new subclasses that have come along, bringing them a little higher up in the charts. I do still have a soft spot in my heart for this little build though. My first monk. Um, up next, the Magic Touch Sorcerer build number 24. This had a tier score of 39. This was my first ever, like, what if I put some artificial constraints on myself in the name of character concept, like how powerful could my character still be kind of build. Something that I have since returned to time and time again and is one of my favorite ways to dream up characters. This one was a sorcerer who could only do damage with touch spells. They were a dragon sorcerer mixed with uh, some Tempest Cleric and were using Shocking Grasp for sustained damage, using Quicken Spell to get a couple of uses out of it, sometimes relying on an upcast Inflict Wounds for burst damage as well, 
it was a weird and a fun experiment that really got like my juices going and my brain giggling. Um, up next, Alchemist, uh, build number 131. Tier score of 30, or sorry, tier score of 42, but I mean, yeah, that's pretty low, but you build an alchemist that can do better. <laughs> that's what I thought. Um, this one, again, was really like a support character designed as a damage dealer, right? Mostly an alchemist, of course, with some Psy uh, Warrior fighter thrown in, actually. They would be like blessing their party members, bringing a lot of good heal capabilities to the party, and then just like peppering enemies with hand crossbow attacks when they could. Sometimes, though, with a plus 2d4 to hit, thanks to their elixir and bless which really does great things for their sharpshooter-infused hand crossbow attacks when they make them. Up next, the Bloodhunter Mutant, uh, build number 33. This had a tier score of 42, and you're going to see some of these tier scores are like the same number. Uh, they're decimals, and I'm rounding, so don't be alarmed when you see like the same number tier score, right? Uh, this one was my first ever foray into unofficial content. Not something that I've repeated often, but uh, it is easier to justify if it's available on D&D Beyond, right? Like this. This was sort of a Van Helsing meets the Witcher character. A little bit of Battlesmith Artificer, a lot of Mutant Bloodhunter. Uh, they'd make a lot of potent crossbow attacks augmented by their mutagens and hemocraft. They were a little slow getting off the ground here, a lot weaker at lower levels, but really pretty strong once you got going. Up next, the Psyknife, build number 73. They had a tier score of 43, and this is my first video on this list, I think that's in my top 10 of all time views for videos. I guess that's probably not true since the Baldur's Gate 3 stuff has blown up recently, but top 10 of my D&D builds, how about that? Despite the relatively mediocre damage numbers, the build was a ton of fun because it was my attempt to marry the two like psionic martial characters that we've got in the game, the Psy Warrior and the Soul Knife Rogue, right? It makes for a super versatile and potent character who has a lot of utility, mobility, and is just throwing psionic blades around the battlefield. It felt a little like Gambit mixed with Nightcrawler or something. Pretty awesome. Up next, uh, build number nine, the Bard Locker. <laughs> oh, the names that I came up with in the early days. Uh, tier score of 43, my first attempt at building a high damage Bard. I'd heard that taking 10 levels of Bard and then getting magical secrets, using that to cast Swift Quiver was a really powerful build for a ranged Bard to do damage. I kind of wanted to put that to the test, and it turns out that you're usually better off with other spells when you crunch the numbers. We had a little fighter here, a little warlock, and then we're relying mostly on greater invisibility at higher levels for permanent advantage to our sharpshooter hand crossbow attacks. It works pretty well, and it comes with the fantastic benefit of being almost all bard, of course. Up next, the Swarmkeeper Slingshot, build number 61. They had a tier score of 44 and are topping my tier 5 here. This was my attempt to really try and take advantage of the forced movement that we get from Swarmkeeper Ranger and build around the sling as a weapon simultaneously. It works pretty well, but to be fair, there's a potential hiccup with the rules on this one around the question of whether or not Magic Stone would work with the sling like I wanted it to. Anyways, we were hitting enemies with our sling attacks that were made with our wisdom modifier, letting us be pretty sad, a single ability score dependent, right? And then pushing them with our swarm as well, all through a very painful field of spike growth. We had a little druid and a little more rogue in there as well for sneak attack. Call it the ranger cheese grater. And that's it for tier five. So moving on to tier four. At the bottom of the pack here, we have Beastmaster 2.0, build number 20. Uh, they had a tier score of 46. Not to be confused with Beastmaster 1.0, which I just removed from the spreadsheet. That was based on the player's handbook, Beastmaster, and as such, was bad. <laughs> Despite my best attempts to the contrary. Uh, this was an attempt to make a powerful Beastmaster based on the changes that we had just received at the time from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. It made for a pretty decent ranged damage dealing, sick your pet on them character. Scratches that archetype itch quite nicely. And yeah, was a full uh, hunter. Uh, sorry. <laughs> 
my World of Warcraft roots coming back. Uh, full Ranger. Um, right, next up, Kaladin Stormblessed, uh, build number 31. They had a tier score of 48. This was the Windrunner, my first and only attempt to build a character around the, like, what if I tried to build a character from third-party fiction in D&D trope, right? And honestly, despite all of the requests that I get to do more stuff like this, I'm just not sure that I will. I'm sorry. Maybe one day, but... It's just not really my thing. This one was still a lot of fun, that said. For those unfamiliar with what's probably my favorite contemporary fantasy series, uh, The Stormlight Archive by Brandon Sanderson, uh, check out these awesome posters that I have. That's uh, a character from the series, Dalinar, the Blackthorn. Um, we got Nail over here. Um, anyways, uh, where was I? <laughs> this was my attempt to create... Um, I guess what you'd call the main character from those books, Kaladin, in D&D. He was a Hexblade warlock, in my mind, with a splash of fighter and storm sorcerer, and I think we got pretty close to the feel of the character, and they were pretty potent. It was a fun experiment. Up next, the Tasmanian Devil, build number 133. They had a tier score of 48, and they were a beast barbarian plus an open-hand monk. Two of the worst scaling classes in all of D&D, surprising no one, are a lot better when you pair them together than when you try to stick straight class with either of them, right? This was a lot of fun, this build. Five attacks per turn, pretty sustainably for some pretty decent damage and some nice survivability to boot. Up next, the Fey Wanderer, uh, build number 53. They had a tier score of 48. This one is still near the very top of my to play list. If I ever make a ranger for a campaign, I'm making this ranger. They splashed some shepherd druid as well, but they were a wisdom-based attacker. They were a Leonin. Uh, they used shillelagh, uh, multiple, eventually, fey spirits that we summoned, and a lot of fear to control the battlefield and put out some pretty decent damage. Is this my highest damage dealing character who kind of focused on control as part and parcel of the damage they do? I wrote that while I was writing the script. The answer is no, but they would still be a fun, whimsical, powerful character who could actually even make a pretty decent uh, face and even support eventually. So lots of great versatility with this one. Next up, the Cyclops, build number 112. They had a tier score of 48. This was Psylocke meets Wolverine. <laughs> How come all of my, uh, like, soul knife rogues end up being uh, X-Men crossovers? I don't know. Uh, this one is super awesome. A strength-based soul knife rogue mixed with some beast barbarian for a lot of psychic blade claw-infused attacks, as well as great survivability and fantastic utility to boot. Uh, this was another one that had some fun, like, versatility to bring along with their damage. Next up... We have the Moon Druid, uh, build number 40. They had a tier score of 49. I think this was my first ever build that used Moon Druid, and might have been my first uh, time I used Spike Growth in a build as well. It was pretty straightforward. You went Bear or later Earth Elemental, you grappled, and you drug your enemy through Spike Growth. We did throw some Beastmaster Ranger in there for some pet damage as well. Um, yeah, my first bear. Definitely not my last bear. Hmm. Bears. <laughs> Undead Support Lock is the next build. Build number 42. They had a tier score of 49. And I keep writing this in my script. This might be my hardest hitting controller, actually. It's not. Uh, though, yes, they are almost exactly the same score as the Fey Wanderer. Um, anyways, this was my attempt to combine both the new, at the time, Undead Warlock with the Oath of Conquest Paladin for a ton of root-them-in-place fear-based shenanigans. As long as your enemies aren't immune to fear, it's pretty dang potent. And even if they are, it hits reasonably hard still. And, I mean, it has a lot of Paladin levels, so you're the VIP of your party anyways. Congratulations. Next up, the Spore Beast, build number 34. They had a tier score of 49. Um, my first ever Beast Barbarian, I think, combined with Spores Druid for a lot of Spores damage, rage-based attacks. This one, pretty straightforward and pretty potent. Might have been my first ever, like, 
Sure, in combat you're mostly just doing damage, but you make a fantastic support and utility-based character outside of combat, thanks to all of those druid levels uh, kind of thing. Right, up next, the Praying Mantis, build number 108, had a tier score of 49 again, trying to make the most powerful build I could around the new, at the time, Thrykreen race from the Spelljammer book. They get extra arms. What are we going to do with those arms? Dual-wield hand crossbows? Go back to Baldur's Gate. <laughs> we dual wield short swords, we grapple an enemy, and just like attack, right? Uh, until they're dead. And still equipping a shield, potentially, if we wanted to. So this was a rune knight fighter mixed with arcane trickster rogue, and yeah, did decent damage and was controlling at least one, if not two, uh, enemies that we would need to drop our shield if we wanted to do two. Pretty effective, pretty gross. I hate bugs. Um, so yeah, it was a good one. Um, next up, the Great Weapon Master Fighterian, build number 8, uh, tier score of 50. This was a very early video where I was basically trying to answer the question, like, who makes better use out of the Polearm Master Great Weapon Master combo, a fighter or a barbarian? The answer, of course, was both, when you combine them. Uh, I think we ended up being mostly a fighter here. I did Rune Knight because at the time when the subclass was still in Unearthed Arcana, UA, they were getting a d6 of damage on every single attack, but that got nerfed post-UA because a d6 on every single attack is way too strong, obviously. Giant Barbarian says what? <laughs> I paired this build with a Zealot Barbarian for three levels to get Reckless Attack. And yeah, I played this build in a campaign, and you know what? It was a ton of fun. Good old Anders. He just, he just killed everything. Very, very sustainably as well. And the build is only showing up at the top of tier four now. Sheesh. Anyway, uh, the next one we've got here is Mind Over Matter, build number 141, pretty recent, a tier score of 50, and yeah, in the quest to find out if we could build an effective intelligence-based fighter, this is the answer. And the answer is yes. We are mostly a Psy Warrior here with a little Battlesmith so we could attack with our intelligence. Uh, we'd infuse our crossbow and we'd use fairy fire to give ourselves and our allies advantage. It worked really well and it made for like a very different kind of fighter that brought a little support and utility to the party, which is always fun. And that's it for tier four. So moving on to tier three at the bottom of the heap here we've got the frost mage build number 89 they had a tier score of 50 and this is my hardest hitting controller surely of course they weren't as good at controlling as some other builds but they certainly slowed a ton this was another like conceptually restricted build we could only do damage with cold based spells and attacks or at least we had to do some cold damage whenever we did damage it was a ton of fun to make we went fathomless warlock for the icy tentacle whip and some cold infused eldritch blast attacks thanks to spirit shroud picking up some draconic sorcerer along the way it made for a very different kind of sorlock that was not only doing solid sustainable damage but was also pushing and slowing and snaring enemies in the process making life miserable for all baddies with the power of ice Next on the list, the Eldritch Sorcerer, the Sorlock, my first Sorlock, uh, build number six. It had a tier score of 50 also. Um, so yeah, speaking of Sorlocks, I think it's telling that between build six and 89, we have two Sorlocks here that did basically the same level of damage, but one brought a lot of added control with them that made the build a lot more potent. And I guess that just comes from me like learning the game better. And to be fair, a little power creep that was introduced between builds 6 and 89, right? This build here was a fairly straightforward Sorlock, a Hexblade Warlock mixed with a Divine Soul Sorcerer who would put darkness on themselves, take the Devil's Sight invocation, and just blast away within their darkness, right, with Eldritch Blast having advantage, using their bonus action for spiritual weapon thanks to Divine Soul getting cleric spells. It was potent, it had a ton of spells, a lot of spell slots, ton of sorcery points to play with. And now that I think about it, with as many sorcery points as we ended up with on this build, we could have probably been using Quicken Spell, uh, at least for several turns for an, one combat encounter, right, to get another round of Eldritch Blast off. I don't think I accounted for that in the build, so potentially this, you know, has more uh, potency than I might have accounted for in the numbers. I'll have to take a look at that. Anyways, next up, the Ranged Fighter. 
build number two tier score of 50. Uh, yeah, this was just like your straight up take crossbow expert, take sharpshooter, and let's see how much damage we can get out of a hand crossbow build. I remember when I made this character, I felt like everywhere I looked, people talked about how this was kind of just the best sustained damage build out there. And to be fair, it is really good. It's especially good because it's literally and completely resource free right? No setup, no spells. You just start shooting right from round one. But it's boring. <laughs> and it's also not nearly as powerful as a lot of other builds that we've done here. Middle of the pack, even. Of course, most of those builds require at least some kind of resource expenditure and might require a round or even two in extreme cases of setup before they're firing on all cylinders. So yeah, for just like Steve Rogers-esque, I can do this all day kind of damage, it is hard to beat the ranged fighter. One note, uh, this is another one where I was using the Unearthed Arcana version of the Rune Knight. I did adjust the numbers in the spreadsheet after like the nerfed final released version of the Rune Knight came out. I'm pretty sure on that, like 87% sure. Um, okay, next build, the Sniper, number 122. They had a tier score of 51. This was kind of my long range, shoot them dead with a musket build, though it would have worked almost as well with a longbow. It was a hunter ranger mixed with an arcane trickster rogue and even a little cleric dip for a couple of big hits every round that brought some nice utility and even minor support capabilities to the table. And yeah, comparing this to the ranged fighter just below it, right? Our damage is almost identical, slightly better here, and the concepts are fairly similar. Big ranged weapon damage, but this build could just do so much more in addition to hit stuff, right? To be fair, not completely resource-free, but also hardly hampered by its resource usage. I think it highlights how often you don't have to sacrifice damage in order to bring other things to the table if you can get creative. Or I guess maybe it highlights how you can just bring even more damage if you can get creative, as we will start to see uh, now that we're getting into the upper half of the DPR builds, right? Okay, next up, uh, build number 37, the Thornlock. Tier score of 51, yeah, speaking of creative, this will always be one of my favorite builds ever. It's also one of the weirdest, and one of those that do require a little buy-in from your DM for it to work properly. This one only did damage when they got hit, and not with like retaliatory attacks a la Hellish Rebuke, right? They simply piled on every single like when you get hit, the enemy takes damage ability that I could find, and they would just run up to enemies, grapple them, and then just wait to get attacked. And they were outpacing the crossbow expert sharpshooter fighter. Um, that's kind of crazy. Of course, yes, you had to get hit. I don't think it was a huge ask, though, if you were effectively grappling your enemy and you told your DM like you were committed to not inflicting damage otherwise. This was mostly a fiend warlock, um, though if I were building it today, I think I'd probably go Ifridi uh, Genie warlock. Anyway, they had a splash of fighter and later even some wild magic sorcerer, if you can believe it. Uh, but yeah, the thornlock, good times. Um, next up, the Way of the Open Spores. This was build number 119. They had a tier score of 51. Uh, one of my grosser titles, I think. This was an open hand monk mixed with a spores druid. The main intent here was to both take advantage of the massive 15 feet of forced movement that you get as an open hand monk. Uh, so nothing better than spike growth for that, right? I wanted druid levels, but then also wanted to take advantage of the extra d6 of damage on every single attack from druid and nothing better than that than to make lots of attacks as a monk um i mean beast master too but we kind of already did the spore beast anyway these two have some really nice synergy the big challenge would be holding on to those temporary hit points so that your damage stays high from spores druid but regardless the build ended up being both a decent damage dealer as well as quite tanky and also bringing some battlefield control and pretty strong support thanks to all those druid levels. Um, yeah, another super versatile and pretty well-rounded build. Up next, the Bladesinger Monk, build number 94. They had a tier score of 52, and this was the build that I made for Chris, uh, Triant Monk's one-shot to celebrate him hitting 
I think it was 50k subscribers? Uh, watch it here. This one was super fun. It was a level 20 one-shot. Uh, the only time, by the way, that I've ever played a character at level 20 in 5e. Uh, even in a one-shot. And so, yeah, knowing that we were just going to start at level 20, it kind of changes everything in how you would approach a build, right? I thought it would be fitting to pair my favorite class in the game, conceptually, Monks, with like the subclass that I'd had the most fun ever playing in-game, the Bladesinger. And it was a blast. Um, at level 20, the character was pretty dang potent. But even at lower levels, as we kind of built this and ramped up, I think it works fairly decently. Next, the Master of Shadows, build number 102. They had a tier score of 53. This was me saying, like, if I could go back and remake the first character that I ever played in D&D 5e, a Shadow Monk, this is how I would do it. Um, it was a Shadow Monk mixed with a Genie Warlock. Lots of punching, lots of Hex or Spirit Shroud damage to pile on top of all of those unarmed strikes. Lots of awesome ninja-like feel. This build is super cool, and yeah, I'd love to give it another try. Next up, the Knight of Knaves, uh, build number 143, tier score of 53. Um, this is, I think this is the first Dungeon Dudes inspired build on the list so far? No, Mind Over Matter, the Intelligent Fighter, that was inspired by the Dungeon Dudes. Anyways, this was kind of my pirate build. Uh, Dexterity-based Oathbreaker Paladin mixed with a Swashbuckler Rogue using a double-bladed scimitar, no less. Chock full of flavor, this one. Uh, solid performer to boot, who also brought some great uh, support, roguish utility, and even burst damage capabilities along for the ride. Uh, super versatile, super fun, very unique. Uh, yeah, great build. All right, um, up next, the Infiltrator. Number 56, uh, they had a 54 tier score. My first ever use of the Armor Artificer, I think, but you know, using the Infiltrator model instead of the Guardian model. Most of the build was almost all Artificer, and it worked really well. Um, it did great lightning-based damage. It was really sad, uh, single ability score dependent, using intelligence for, bo uh, for both spellcasting and for attacks. Uh, and it was really great at like infiltration, subterfuge, without taking rogue levels, at least not until much later, um, mostly to add some sneak attack damage. We ended up with a few Psy Warrior fighter levels here too, but overall, yeah, another potent and versatile build. Next on the list, we have the Swashbuckler, build number 17. This had a 54 tier score. Uh, my first time ever using a Swashbuckler in a build. This was also my first and only, I think, uh, time where I made an error in the video so egregious that I felt compelled to release a follow-up video the next day explaining my mistake and how I would fix it. Fortunately, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything came along right after this video and made everything better. Uh, in the end, after Tasha's, we were a swashbuckler with some new and improved Beastmaster levels who was making Booming Blade sneak attacks uh, and summoned pet and summoned Beastmaster pet attacks, and then stepping away so that the enemy would take even more damage on their turn for moving. Um, I saw this played in game and it worked really great actually and seemed like a ton of fun. And that is the end of tier three. So on to tier two. Um, at the bottom of tier two, we have build number 100, the Shadow Blade, uh, tier score of 54. This was my attempt to just really try and build a character around my favorite spell and favorite weapon in the game, Shadow Blade. Blade Singers potentially make great use of Shadow Blade, but it's best in dim light or darkness. And how can we guarantee dim light or darkness for ourselves? by picking up some Twilight Cleric levels, of course. Uh, yeah, this was a fun, uh, this was a fun one, um, thanks to a dip in an arguably overpowered subclass, uh, but it brought both great damage and power, right, of a wizard, as well as support capabilities from the Cleric. Um, but here's a little spoiler. I think there's a class that can make even better use of a Shadow Blade than this one. I've got a build for it coming out next week, so stay tuned. Um, anyways, up next, the Eldritch Blademaster, build number 67, they had a tier score of 55, yet another Bladesinger, but this time paired with an Eldritch Knight. Uh, this one was, I think, my first attempt to just make a two-weapon fighter who could bring, uh, sorry, who could keep up with the great weapon masters and sharpshooters of the world. 
we got to tier two, so I think we did a decent job. In the end, they were making a ton of attacks and bringing loads of utility and versatility and even burst capability thanks to all of those spells, action surge, etc., etc. Super fun master of blades. Then we have the three bears, build number 144, tier score of 55, another Dungeon Dudes inspired gem. This was me trying to recreate Goldilocks and the three bears in game. We were a moon druid and a beastmaster ranger who turned ourselves into a papa bear, had a beastmaster pet mama bear, and then summoned a third baby bear with the summon beast spell, and even had a little tawny owl pet named Goldilocks, uh, familiar. And everything was just right because they wrecked. <laughs> um, yeah, they even brought uh, fantastic druidic support and utility between combat encounters, so that was a really fun one and a really potent one, too, I think. Up next, the Oathbreaker, build number 111. They had a tier score of 55. Um, this was like my first ever, I'm just gonna lean into being evil character. Not that you have to be evil to play an Oathbreaker, right? But for me, this one was. And man, this was a solid build. Um, almost all Paladin with just a teeny weeny Hexblade dip and even a little Divine Soul Sorcerer at the end. This build was super tanky using a spear and a shield, but it still hit often and hard and brought great like support, burst damage potential, all while being pretty charisma sad. Um, yeah, just so well-rounded and so incredibly potent. This is a really good paladin, uh, evil paladin, anyway. Right, so up next, the giant barbarian. Build number 150, last week's build. Um, yeah, they had a tier score of 56, the new best barbarian subclass for pure sustained damage as far as I'm concerned. And this just might be the best build I've ever done that is super duper sustainable with almost no setup or resource expenditure. The only resource we're using is rage and we're just raging as a bonus action on round one and you know, from that point on, we are like full damage mode. Yeah, so it, it works best if you're not having a ton of combat encounters per long rest, right? So that you can rage every combat encounter. Once you get up to level three and beyond, I feel like that's gonna be the case for most tables, but anyways, um, yeah, enjoy hitting like a truck and being a potentially amazing grappler. In case you missed it, this build eventually took some champion fighter levels, uh, if you can believe it. You gotta make that brutal critical at least a little bit better, right? But yeah, super potent build and potentially lots of fun and some fun throwing utility too. So next up, we have the Crit Fisher build number 48. They had a tier score of 56. They were a Berserker Barbarian, uh, also a champion fighter. The only times I've used champion fighter, I think. Um, with two levels of Paladin, and in the end, Divine Soul Sorcerer levels, mostly so that we could get bigger smites. This is a sustained damage build? It's a crit fisher? I think so, yeah, because here we weren't critting on command, right? It was still going to be a roll of the dice, and to me, burst damage builds are those that decide when to burst, yeah? So, yeah, we're doing everything that we can to crit often, and then when we do, we go big, right? To be fair, an arguably stronger Crit Fisher build would be one where you could use Elven Accuracy, since that will greatly increase our crit chance, but I feel like I kinda already did that with the burst damage build, uh, the Lockedon Bard, so this was more of a barbarian take on the idea that works perfectly well. Up next on the list, the Cosmic Controller, build number 137. Uh, with a tier score of 57, here it is, definitively the highest damage dealing control focused character on the list, no question. This is what the Monk Grappler build that I'm going to discuss in a minute should have been. It was inspired by the Dungeon Dudes, trying to marry a monk with a cleric. And I think it's a banger build. An astral self monk who can both grapple and unarm strike using wisdom, letting them be super sad uh, with some twilight cleric, not for the overpowered channel divinity feature, but because it felt like the best thematically for me to pair with an astral self monk and also because I really wanted the moonbeam spell. Uh, this character would grapple with their wisdom, move enemies into and out of moonbeam and hit them with our astral arms and it was glorious. Uh, ended up with some fighter levels here too for rune knight so that we could grapple huge enemies, right? Really fantastic monk cleric build here. 
Next on the list, oh, this one's so cute, the Pokemon Trainer, uh, build number 28. Uh, tier score of 58, this build will always have a special place in my heart. I agonized over this thing more than any build that I've ever done. It took me days to figure this one out. I rewrote the script at least twice. I was like, I don't know if I wanna keep doing this YouTube channel if all of these builds are gonna do this to me. But it was an artificial constraint build where the idea was to only ever do damage with my summoned pets and companions. I could never attack anything directly myself on my character. Um, to get there, we went Beastmaster Ranger, Wildfire Druid, and Lore Bard for access to all of the best pets, summons, and buffs for those pets. By the end, we had potentially five pets active. Uh, the Beastmaster pet, the Wildfire Druid pet, a summoned beast spell pet, uh, familiar, and then the find steed or even find greater steed at the end. Uh, it got loony and it was a ton of fun and obviously pretty powerful so long as you could keep all of those pets alive, which I think we did an okay job of doing, you know, trying to buff them, be able to heal them, give them some temporary hit points, stuff like that. Okay, up next, uh, the gunk, build number 107 with a tier score of 59. You want to learn gung fu. Uh, yes, my highest damage dealing, mostly monk character, that's actually viable and not using third-party content. Uh, this was a Kensei monk who took a fighter dip and a ranger dip so that we could get archery fighting style, blind fighting as well, fog cloud, and just throw down a gunpowder smokescreen and fill our enemies full of lead. It works really, really well and gives you all the fun flavor of being mostly a monk to boot. So yeah, try it out. Um, yeah, up next, the Drake Warden, build number 66. They had a tier score of 59, and I'm not gonna lie, I was kind of surprised to see this build this high on the list. I kind of forgot where it was, where it was placed. I was so excited back in the day when the Drake Warden and the Ascendant Dragon Monk first came out. I love dragons, and having a pet dragon, so awesome. But then I remember feeling quite strongly that the mechanics of the thing kind of failed to live up to expectations, and yet here we are at the very top of tier two. Uh, that said, this build did actually end up going very heavily into Peace Cleric uh, to get to those numbers in order to buff our companions and upcast our summoned Fey Spirit as high as we possibly could, right? That said, really solid damage and all the support capabilities of a ton of Cleric levels it made this build really potent, really versatile. and. I mean, you got a pet dragon, right? And actually, looking now, I believe this is the hardest hitting, mostly ranger build that I've ever done for sustained damage anyways. So all of you Drake Warden naysayers, take note. Okay, up next, the Dive Bomber, um, build number 80. Yeah, they had a 60 DPR and this, this guy was a silly guy or gal. Um, another like exploratory build around the idea of here, grappling an enemy, flying into the air, and just dropping them. Doing this, could we actually be viable and effective without even using spells or weapons, at least for most of our damage? The answer, apparently, is a resounding yes, but of course would require that you be fighting outside, like all of the time, or at least in rooms with very high ceilings. Um, it was really fun thought experiment regardless. Maybe a great option, another great option for a one-shot, I would think. Um, we went Circle of the Land Druid for the spells that they got access to mostly, uh, some Rune Knight Fighter for grappling purposes, and eventually some Arcane Trickster Rogue to dash as a bonus action and do a little more damage while in flight. Um, if you haven't seen it, I mean, watch it for the laughs, if nothing else, right? It was, it was good and fun. Yeah, good times. Um, that's it for Tier 2. So, finally, coming down the home stretch, we've got the Tier 1 builds. And up first, we have the Barbarian from Hell, build number 147. They had a 62 uh, tier score. And this was the answer to Monty and Kelly's question, can a Warlock Barbarian be good? Yeah. It, it really can, thanks largely to spells like Armor of Agathus and Fire Shield that don't require concentration, grappling, and then just pummeling your enemy with a polearm while you hold them in place, assuming that they'll be attacking you in return, since it's almost impossible for them to break your grapple based on the ways that we, you know, augmented our grappling abilities here. The build works astonishingly well, and it has some of the fun flavor of the Thornlock, but 
probably requires a little less buy-in for your DM to work as well. And it hits harder too, for that matter. Uh, we went Genie Warlock here with a few levels of Zealot Barbarian, though honestly, if I were playing this in game, I would go with Giant Barbarian, uh, like I mentioned in the video. Up next, the Hexblade Singer. Blade Singer. Uh, build number 123, 62 uh, tier score. This was the quest to take the two subclasses often touted as like the best gishes in D&D 5e, the Hexblade and the Blade Singer, and see if we could mesh them into one super gish. Um, is the whole greater than the sum of its parts? I think the answer is maybe? Like, kinda, but not really, since, I mean, I have a full Hexblade and a full Blade Singer that rank higher than this in the charts. That said, there are some nice advantages to going this route and trying to mix these two classes, or subclasses. First and foremost, uh, being able to attack with both weapons and the highest damage cantrip in the game, Eldritch Blast, on the same turn. It feels really awesome, and, and like, even like the most spell swordy spell sword of all time, though we're actually using a crossbow here, so more like a spell bow, I suppose. But regardless, yes, a really fun experiment and surprisingly powerful, despite my initial skepticism, actually. Okay, up next, the Grappler Monk. This was build number 23. Um, they had a tier score of 63. I keep saying I'm going to just like remove this build from my spreadsheets, but then I keep not doing it. I think because it, doing so would feel like I'm trying to hide my mistakes instead of owning them. Um, this was my first attempt at an astral self monk who grappled and attacked with wisdom, but I just don't think it would be super viable in game, or at least the damage wouldn't be as high as I claim. At the time, the Unearthed Arcana version of the Spores Druid let you get the extra d6 of damage from Symbiotic Entity, regardless of whether or not you had the temporary hit points on you. That changed in the final release, and it made taking Spores Druid almost pointless and significantly lowered our damage, right? Since enemies were grappled here with this build, and thus likely to attack you, and we were pretty dang squishy to boot. So yeah, we weren't going to hold on to those temporary hit points, and if nothing else, this was a lesson to me to stop using Unearthed Arcana in my builds, uh, having been burned by changes to the Rune Knight too in the past. So, uh, Also a warning not to let my excitement for an idea overrule my own tendency to throw caution to the wind in my builds. Yeah, who am I kidding? I still throw caution to the wind all of the time in my builds. So guess I haven't learned that lesson yet, looking at you, Moonsinger. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, up next, the Holy Warrior, uh, build number 96. Tier score of 63. The highest sustained damage, mostly Paladin, uh, on my list. And this is, to me, like the ultimate Paladin. Oath of Devotion with a few levels of Zealot Barbarian. They just grabbed a massive polearm, raged with righteous zeal, and smote the world into Kingdom Come. Um, I based my first ever BG3 build on this character and played them as my tab on my first BG3 playthrough, and yeah, works as advertised. Uh, everything just melts, and you wear heavy armor, and you can heal, and bless, and cure, and buff, and you have aura of protection, and it's every fanatic's dream come true. Really, really, really strong build. Right, up next, the Berserker Lurker, build number 104. They had a 63 tier score. Not the only strength-based rogue build that I've ever done, but definitely the best damage-dealing one from a sustained perspective, at least. This is also the highest-ranking build on here that has at least five levels of Barbarian, I think, and the highest-ranking build for mostly rogues. Anyway, the shtick here was to proc sneak attack twice every round, and we did it with Berserker Barbarian's bonus action uh, attack, coupled with holding our action to attack when it wasn't our turn so that we could double up on sneak attack every round, right? We used Phantom Rogue, but most any rogue subclass would work here. And yes, the exhaustion thing for Berserkers was pretty prohibitive here, meaning that you couldn't really do this for more than one, maybe two combat encounters per day, but when it worked, it worked beautifully. And uh, brought Barbarian survivability and rogue utility with it to boot, so a good build. Um, okay, up next, the Pamlock, aka the Hexblade. This was build number one, a tier score of 64. Good old episode one, man. I tried to re-watch this video recently, and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. The pacing, the rambling, it's rough. 
thank you to all of you who saw that first video and decided to stick with me regardless. <laughs> Um, the build was pretty straightforward, right? A full Hexblade Warlock who used a polearm and a heavy weapon master gave themselves advantage on their attacks via Darkness and Devil Sight or later Shadow of Moil. It's unsurprisingly, I think, super powerful. Hits like a truck, has a lot of spells to play around with, if not necessarily a lot of spell slots, um, and they can even smite once in a while for added burst. Hexblades can be a ton of fun to play in-game. Super sad single ability score dependent, uh, you know, and I'm speaking from experience here. Try it out sometime if you haven't. Almost finished here, the Stars Druid, uh, build number 88. They had a 69 tier score, nice. Um, right, uh, this build is so good. Uh, I played a version of it in game for several months. It was actually a mix between this build and like the Nature and Light Cleric builds that I've done. Light Cleric was a burst damage build, but man, throwing up a spell like Moonbeam in this case, or Spirit Guardians the way I used it, finding great ways to move enemies into that spell repeatedly while also making attacks and bonus action attacks, just felt like you were always doing stuff and doing it well, while simultaneously being a banger support character if and when you needed to be. It just kind of felt like a do-it-all character and it was so much fun. Uh, so technically, the way I did this character for the video, they had a small Peace Cleric dip and then a Genie Warlock dip, but was all Stars Druid otherwise, and it slaps. Up next, the Cheese Grater, build number 47 with a 73 tier score, good old Sorlock Cheese Grater. You throw down Spike Growth and you just start pushing and pulling your enemies over the top of it with Eldritch Blast, Telekinesis, and whatever else you might have at your disposal. It works so well, and it's so awesome and hilarious, and possibly, to be fair, super groan-inducing for both your DM and your fellow players. I'd actually be curious to know, for those of you who have tried this build or something like it, how disruptive was it for the other players at your table? Did they love you? Did they hate you? little of both, maybe. Anyways, uh, Wild Magic Sorcerer plus Genie Warlock on this one, and so good. And then we have my darling, my baby, the reigning champ for so long, uh, only recently dethroned the Bladesinger, Bladesinger 2.0 anyway, which replaced the Bladesinger 1.0, and I've removed that from the spreadsheets. Um, anyway, build number 19, they had a 74 uh, tier score. The reality is this. I kinda always felt a little guilty about putting this build on top of the pile damage-wise. There's a lot of ramp up potentially between using Blade Song and casting your concentration spell, whether it's Shadow Blade or Animate Objects or whatever, um, or Summon Fey, right? And more importantly, I was always making assumptions here about fighting in Dim Light or Darkness or enemies not resisting non-magical attacks that, I don't know, Making assumptions doesn't feel quite as damning on builds that you aren't claiming as like the best damage dealer. For non-number one build, it's like, hey, we make assumptions. But for like the leader, it's like, yeah, this might not work quite as well as advertised and maybe I shouldn't pretend like they're the best, right? But all of that said, best is subjective. And for that reason, in my book, this build is still the best. <laughs> and. Honestly, it's because they are a full wizard with all the power and versatility that that entails, but a wizard who just uses weapon attacks about as well as any other character in the game. And for that alone, they win top marks in my book, and probably always will. Until, that is, Wizards of the Coast makes Monty and Kelly's Drakenheim subclasses official content, because when that happens, the Arcane Hand Monk will for sure be my new favorite. Um, tier score of uh, 78, and man, I love this subclass, and I so loved hanging out with the Dungeon Dudes while talking about it. It is just the perfect marriage of my favorite things to play in D&D, monks and gishes. I'm planning on begging Dallin to let me play this subclass in our next campaign, uh, whether it takes place in Drakenheim or not. So, Dallin, please. <laughs> But finally, topping the tier charts, we have a new sheriff in town, people, and yeah, it's part Bladesinger, but with a twist that nobody expected, it's also a moon druid? <laughs> oh, the Moonsinger, tier score of 82, build number 149. 
Man, I loved the serendipity of the last build that I ever did inspired by the Dungeon Dudes tier ranking list. Uh, ended up being my new, like, best sustained damage dealer build ever. That was just cool and not anticipated or looked for. Now, there is some criticism with this build, uh, for sure, as with all of my builds, frankly, and it's this, the difficulty that you might have trying to play this character in game because of the relative squishiness of a brown bear, especially at higher levels of play. And so, you know, are we going to actually be able to stay in wild shape with this character? It's a valid criticism. I do think we did a decent job of trying to shore up our squishiness with some damage reduction, some increased armor class from Blade Song and Mage Armor, the self-healing we got from Moon Druid, etc., etc. But until I actually play this build in game, I can't say for sure how easy or difficult it will be to stay in wild shape. We do have two uses of it per short rest. I mean, yeah, it's going to depend on the level that you're playing at. It's going to depend on your table, your campaign, right? Regardless, if and when this works, a Blade Singing Moon Druid is just awesome, no matter what. So that is a quick uh, synopsis of my, what, 62 sustained damage dealing builds to date. I hope you found something that sounded interesting or fun that you maybe forgot about or didn't even know about that you want to go kind of check out and try out for yourself in game. Heaven knows I have a long list of characters I would love to play. Um, but I just want to tell you guys, I love you. Thank you for making 2023 the best year for this channel ever by far. And it's really all because of you. You guys are amazing. So I hope that you know this and I hope that you have a great day and a fantastic week. And if you don't, I hope you hang in there. But I also hope that you do good and that you be kind and that you stay safe and that I see you again very soon. But until then, take care. No outtakes this time. Sorry. I don't have time. I gotta get home and start making some banana cream pie.